Welcome to Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves, tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity and to protect those who may not want their information given out. What's going on, Mike? Hey, man. Just another day in paradise. How you doing? <laughs> doing good. So what's your favorite pizza topping? Favorite pizza topping? Uh, I, actually really toppings. Like, I actually really like pepperoni and pineapple yeah, together. Yeah, not a bad one. Little, a good combo. Little contrast. Joined again by Lance Skifter. Lance, the question the people want to know. The answer to pizza topping. Um, meat lovers all day long. Yeah. Yeah, meat lovers is just good. Just loaded up. Any particular establishment or just loaded up? Um, it depends on what you're doing, right? Like if you're ordering pizza delivery, then it's Pizza Hut for me. If you're going out for pizza, we have a local place that I like to go mm. um, that makes a really good pizza the epic yeah it's good i mean it's pizza so yeah i reserve epic for not epic for pizza yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not for pizza <laughs> maybe like a ribeye cap steak or something like that <laughs> this guy knows what i'm talking now about. you're talking that's yeah. that's the real stuff right what about there. you steve what's your pizza you know, topping of choice i'm plain i like pepperoni pepperon. i like a good pepperoni pizza can't beat that i mean it's yeah. hard to beat man it's hard to pepperoni, beat a pepperoni is really pizza. good it's just delicious i've never turned down a pizza yeah it doesn't matter what it has on it unless it's anchovies. Um, Which is that really even a thing? You always hear about it, but I've never actually seen it. I have. So yeah. it exists. I used to work at Round Table and okay. people would order anchovies, man. Some people, it's their jam. So it's not mythical like Bigfoot. No. It exists like aliens or reptile people. It, it's like an alien autopsy, but on a pizza. <laughs> but less delicious. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now, now the people know. <laughs> You heard it here first, guys. Yeah, hey, there you are. So on our previous episodes, we've dug into a bit of the history of Pastor Tom, the chaos that has ensued and some of the building up of it. And we've talked about what's colloquially called Black Sunday or Bloody Sunday. Sunday, Bloody Sunday, I think is yours right, Lance? Uh, no, I've always called it Black Sunday, but um, others have called a it. A friend of ours has, That's right. calls it Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Yeah. So that is where our focus is today, is on the events of that, um, some of the trauma that has occur occurs because of a day like this, and just digging into the details of what uh, what occurred in the excitement and damnation. There's ample amounts of damnation from all there and by all. There was enough damnation to go around. <laughs> it was it was very uh, Spanish conquesty of sorts. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but that's what we're going with. I will say way more damnation than should be in any church service. Yes. This, How about th that? This is true. <laughs> more this damnation than your average Baptist church service. <laughs> Let's say that. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of damnation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to give you guys a perspective. Um, so building up in the timeline, we've established Pastor Tom, character... Um, some hindsight involved in understanding his true character and a building up to what led to the church split. And just jumping into it with this idea of Black Sunday, a lot of it came down to him establishing his authority. And I would posit seeking to hold on to that authority at every cost possible. Is that, would you say that's accurate in some ways? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no other, I don't think there's any other way to to view what happened that day, but just not even just that day, but the leading up to that day as that, like he genuinely, and we'll talk more in a minute, but he genuinely had a pastoral vision that he was the ultimate authority. So let's just jump into that real quick. Cause this, this is the thread that occurred not only at this church, uh, Church A. Is that what we coined it? Church, church A. a. That's yeah. correct. But there was also a thread at Church B. So dig into that a little bit, Lance. And then, Mike, you you got it on the Church B side. It yeah. really is the B side. 
um, in many, many ways of that phrase. So dig into this idea of his authority as pastor. What did he tell you and what was some of the build up to that? Um, well, in one particular conversation, he told me that when he was uh, in the pulpit, he was infallible and uh, unable to err when he was in the pulpit. So that everything he said from behind the lectern was the voice of God. So what was some uh, of his reason for that? Do you recall? Or he just made the he statement. He didn't feel the need to give me any. <laughs> As the prophet does. And that was um, said during the heat, before things started getting hot, do you recall? Or is that kind of a moot point? No, that was um, a meeting that I had with him after Black Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he would have included the words that he spoke on Black Sunday. As infallible. As infallible as well. Yeah. And to confirm what Lance is saying, he told me that in private as well later on, like, I don't know, a year later in a private conversation where he said the exact same words. He said, when I am speaking or preaching from the pulpit, I'm infallible. And I was like, I, I didn't have a response for that. I was just like, hmm, okay. Must be yeah. nice. <laughs> That's basically how I responded to, because yeah. I was like, I, <laughs> like, I knew I didn't agree, but I knew that there was no need to argue with him about it. Yeah, because, that's what, what are you yeah. going to say to someone who believes that? Like, yeah. oh, you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, I didn't, I still wondered about it when he told me that um, because of where I was in my walk. Mm-hmm. And I think as I investigated more, I learned, well, that's not really how the gift of prophecy or preaching works. But yeah, I just want to confirm this is definitely a belief he held. I wanted to ask him that since he wasn't in the pulpit when he said that he was infallible behind the pulpit, is it possible that he's wrong? Wait, repeat that again? (laughs) When he told me that he was infallible behind the pulpit, he wasn't behind the pulpit. So is it possible that his view of his infallibility from behind the pulpit was wrong because he's not behind the pulpit at the moment? Uh Just just to, you know, make sure he's always infallible as much as possible, he actually had a pulpit built into the dash of it's his got car. shoulder straps on it, and he carries and it around. Just, just, with just, it's like, like a drum. Like a, it's just it's like a, drum, like a bass a marching drum. Band like drum. Like a marching band bass drum that he carries around. <laughs> but it's a pulpit that he carries around with him on his shoulders. He was like... To remain infallible everywhere he looked like he goes. Salty the Singing Songbook from the 80s. <laughs> but trying to do Jedi mind tricks. Can you imagine... Oh, that's a good time. Lord have mercy. So he had this, he held a presupposition that he was infallible behind the pulpit. Yeah. Uh, at best, that's an ego trip. At worst, that's some weird psychotic disorder. And it was probably both um, in some capacity. That's you never fair. know. We'll go with it. But what was some of the other things that he would do? You mentioned, Mike, that he had some preaching series. We talked about. Um, what was the one we talked about in a previous episode? I think it was a slander series. So that, that was one that kind of pe- keep the people quiet. And you had mentioned a series called The Man of God. So what was the big deal about The Man of God so preaching series? My memory's fuzzy. So whether he said this from the pulpit or whether I learned it from him in private, I don't recall because it all blurs together for me. But I know at one point he articulated that he believed that the pastor was equal to the man of God because in... First Timothy 6.11, Paul refers to Timothy as you man of God. So that is the pastor's title. And that title, he referenced back to like, he always used to use this story from uh, 1 Kings 13. And the 1 Kings 13 story is about this random man of God who's unnamed, who has, is supposed to go and rebuke somebody I don't, rec- I don't have the story in front of me, and then he's supposed to go straight back. Do you want to pull it up? I'll look for it. Yeah, right. that no, would probably be better. I'm, am I butchering it? Pontificating. Well, you're pontificating. Hey, I'm infallible from behind the microphone. <laughs> um, <laughs> and twice as handsome, if I may say. <laughs> Which means, well, we're not going to talk about what that means. <laughs> and um, behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the, forward, uh, by the word of the Lord to Bethel, Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. The man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high 
uh, high places who make offerings on you and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. And it goes on and then it says he left basically. So that was the idea that there's just a man of God who came, delivered God's word Mm -hmm. and left. And God instructed him not to stop and eat on the way back, but to just go straight back from where he started. But another prophet, another man of God said, hey, I'm a prophet too, and God told me you're supposed to hang out with me. So he did, and he ate with a guy, and then then the guy prophesies and said, oh no, you disobeyed the Lord, now you're done for. And then a lion eats, like, mauls the man of God to death on the road. The the prophet had sent him off on, on a donkey. The lion mauls the man of God, leaves his body there, and the donkey is standing on one side, and the lion is standing on the other side of the guy's body. Um, So... Pastor Tom's whole thing was, I am sent to give the specific message of God and do nothing else, and it's my duty, my driven duty before God to speak only his words, and that was part of why I think he believed he was infallible from the pulpit is because of this like belief he had about the pastor being in the same class as the prophet from the Old Testament like this, or the man of God from the Old Testament. Um, you had mentioned to the uh, reference to the angelic messengers or the angelic beings. Yeah, there's a, a reference he made during the slander series, where in Second uh, Peter two ten. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Just for a little bit of context, in verse 9 it says, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. So what he said in the slander series was, if you're speaking out against a pastor, the celestial beings in this verse is actually referencing pastors. I don't know where he got that, but Uh, that's what he... That was his interpretation. Yeah, that was his interpretation. I have never seen that interpretation again. I've studied several commentaries. You're not a cult leader trying to pervert the scriptures for the sake of your own gain, so... Well, my guess would be... My guess would be that in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation... It talks about writing to the angels of the churches, and and most commentators believe that, you know, to the to the angel of the church of Sardis, right? To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Most people understand that to be the pastor of uh-huh. that church. So, in that context, angel means the word angel means messenger, mm. and so in that context, he's just saying to the messenger of the church of Ephesus, write this. To the messenger of the church of Laodicea, write this. To the messenger of the church of Sardis. Write this, and so um, that can be twisted around to being that pastors are on the level of angels. That's a great um, insight there, and that may be how he got there, because I can see how you could make that reference and then draw a straight line from that to this and say, well, therefore, this is a pastor, right? right? Um, so he put pastors in a special class, which we understand, like, it's a calling that is definitely worthy of our respect and worthy of honor uh, for people in the congregation. You know, we, we want to make their job easy for pastors. We want to give pastors, you know, the respect they deserve, but this went way above and beyond that. So I just don't want to cast the idea out there or paint the picture that we're saying pastors don't have a position that is different than the rest of the congregation. They definitely have a different calling and different position, but this was to put pastors on a different spiritual class. Correct. So I think that's the distinction here. They're a different spiritual being. Yeah. It's, you know, the scriptures, I believe it's in Timothy, that says that uh, a pastor is worthy of double honor. He's He's worthy of being honored financially and with your hearts and with your, you know, with whatever. And so he's worthy of double honor Mm -hmm. in that way. So the scripture would teach that there is a level of honor due to the faithful and, you know, true pastor. Um, I very much struggle with calling Tom 
a pastor. Yes. Being, and that's being fair. one myself, I don't like to share that title. Yeah. <laughs> it's appropriate. It's <laughs> fair. That's 100% fair. Yeah. Now, he's established this foundation of his authority, um, of keeping quiet and not, quote-unquote, slandering the pastor. That was his goal in quashing any uprising against him. But we hindsight shows that that actually happened. There was a very big uprising. And through the month of December, Black Sunday happened the first Sunday in January. What happy was New Year. Yeah, happy. Yeah, hey. Yeah, welcome. Merry Christmas, too. I, I remember spending that New Year together, the three of us, and I think we were at the college pastor's house mm-hmm. through the night and enjoying that evening. And then the Sunday was a little chaotic. And the elders, obviously, they knew more than most of the congregation. Some of the congregation knew more than us. And they were seeking to nip it in the bud in some ways to, to say it and bring closure that didn't destroy the church, really, is what the elders were seeking to do. Some of the congregants were a little more fiery, and potentially some of the elders too, it seems. And they maybe took a, not maybe, but they did take a stronger, more forceful approach. So simultaneously, and correct my timeline if it's off, there is a request for him to resign from the elder board, but also a petition floating around for him from the congregation to bring a vote on whether to keep him or not. The way that I understand it is that there was a request for him to resign when he... From the elders. From the... They weren't called that then, but yeah, yes. The advisory board. The advisory it was board an advisory is, was board the name meeting. of it. Was the name of it. Essentially elders, different title. Um, oh, it was different. Not even that. Okay. The, so the, this advisory board. At the board. time, the leadership consisted of... Uh, deacons, which is a biblical office. office, and trustees, which is not, not a biblical office. Not unbiblical. Not unbiblical, not biblical. I'm not saying, yeah. But, but the deacons basically functioned as elders. They, okay. uh, they handled ministry things. The trustees basically functioned as deacons. They handled uh, financial uh, things. So the so roles they, were essentially there. The titles are a little skewed. And then they would come together to form the advisory board. Okay. And it was in an advisory board meeting that Tom was asked to resign. He refused that offer. And a And the 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 request to resign was so that way the peace could be preserved and the people who supported him could go essentially plant a church. Yeah, actually the offer peace. was made to uh with our blessing go off go and, off and do your Thing. Your thing. But what you're doing here is not what we are. It's divisive. It's, it's not the church yeah. that is church A. Yeah. Yeah. It's not what church A has been and wants to be moving forward. So there's a group of folks who like what you're doing. Why don't you take them and with our blessing go and start something else? That offer was refused. Yeah. Then a petition was presented the way that the constitution of the church worked was that a certain number of the advisory board members could call for a vote of confidence from the congregation and a petition was presented with the right amount of names signed on it. This is during the same meeting. During the same meeting. Same meeting as that he was asked to resign. Since you won't resign... We're going to go forward with this. Here's a list of names of the advisory board members who have agreed to let us send out a petition to call for a vote of confidence. And if they needed eight signatures, they had exactly eight they signatures. They had exactly the number that Whatever they needed, the number was. Whatever that number was, they had exactly the number that was needed. And then the heat was turned up on some of the men who had signed that document, and one of them recanted. Yeah, one of the uh, supporters of Pastor Tom started making like judgments upon their children. Yeah, biblical threats that, you know, you're you don't want your family and children to suffer the wrath of God because of this yeah. sort of thing. And he, he took his name off the So he redacted his mm-hmm. signature from that petition and therefore they didn't have the right amount of signatures to petition the congregation for a vote of confidence. So that's quashed Tom staying in place. But there's very clearly division of some sort 
Um, and both are potent seeking resolution, but it seems like both want to stay at this point. Yes. So the congregation is the next step to get involved, given the constitution and style of church government that Church A had. There was a requirement for the people to then present a petition for a vote of confidence. And the me and my family were not members at the time, if I recall correctly, so we never received it. Mm-hmm. But what was that form like? Because it went out to the congregation, place a vote, sign yeah. the petition. It's been many, two decades. Yeah. But what was some general verbiage? What was some general things on that document that was presented? I don't recall because it's been so long. I know it was that we want to hold a vote of confidence for Pastor Tom and you need to sign this if you want to have us do a vote of confidence. So it was a petition to rally people to actually call for this vote of confidence. And there's something that happened in between that board meeting and the time the petition was circulated, though. The board members or the uh, the advisory board members who were pro-Church A, who had brought up the... Uh, who left their names on that yeah. advisory board petition. Yes, those guys all remove themselves from the board. They resigned. They resigned between the board meeting where Pastor Tom was asked to resign and when that petition letter went out. So now the board consisted of Tom and his yes-men, basically. And he had to, if you remember in a previous episode, we talked about the need to have six members of the board to make it, to make it legal member in the constitution. Right. To so he had to fill empty spots too. Because mm. when those when those men left, it left less than six men on the board. So he had to fill empty spots. Which he uh-huh. handpicked. Which he handpicked, yeah. So these men resigned, the vote of confidence goes out, and a vote of confidence essentially calls the congregation to say, hey, should we keep him or should we let him go? Yeah. It's essentially the, it, right? Yeah. And and the petition going around was not saying you wanted him to stay or you wanted him to go. It was simply saying, let's take a vote. And we have to have a certain number of signatures in order to... Which is the right of the congregation. In order to usurp the advisory board requirement, we have to have a a certain number of signatures from the congregation in order to put this... Yeah, this was a provision in the bylaws um, that existed that allowed the congregation to go around the current board. So even though yeah. Tom had his kind of puppet government in place, um, some of the guys who were part of the drafting, who were there for the drafting of the original constitution and the bylaws knew this and were like, hey, guys, we can do this. So that's how this got drafted, even in the absence of the uh, advisory board members who had resigned. So Tom's asked to resign, doesn't work. Church begins to step up and do their part under the bylaws and constitution of the church. And that was just before Black Sunday. So and that was the first Sunday after the New Year. What, what You were out of town that day, weren't you, Lance? No, I was at Black Sunday. You were at Black Sunday. I was definitely at Black Sunday. Okay. So you were at Black Sunday. We were there, too. I was That's running right. we sound. Were. We were. So Mike's running sound. I think you and I were probably sitting together then, or in the same general area. Probably. And it's Communion Sunday, which is a thing. So the elements were laid out. Yes, they were. And uh, Pastor Tom, worship occurs. We had a substitute worship leader. I remember that vividly for some reason. Our regular worship leader was on vacation that that weekend. I would uh, just add that he was intentionally on vacation oh, that weekend. okay. That, that's something I did not know, but that was wisdom he on his part. And you worked with him on I worked, the side. I worked for him. Yes, so, so you knew what was up. So is the guy is the guy he brought in somebody he didn't like? No. Okay. No. I don't think, I, honestly, I don't think he knew. It was going to be that chaotic. It was going to be that. Okay. He just, he needed a vacation. Yeah. Well, I get <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so he's out of town. We have a substitute worship leader. And uh, we worship. Service begins, you know. We sing. We sing. We sing our, <laughs> the songs. Service begins with the, the quote-unquote preaching. Nothing against the worship leader, but yeah, the hearts of people were not 
Yeah, it was, it was a heavy not, feeling in the room. It was not a proper yeah, setting. It was not a proper setting. So I, I don't, I remember only a couple things from the service, but let's talk through introduction of the sermon, general things that were said. Um, communion plays a role. So let's start with the communion portion, because that was towards the beginning. Pastor Tom gets up, announces we're not having communion today. And what was some of the reason why? I don't know that he really gave reasons. He just he just said we're like, not doing communion and, today. And he wasn't wrong. No, that was actually <laughs> like, appropriate. It was you know, we're not doing this today because we're not we're not unified. And he wasn't wrong. And and I think it actually would have been wrong to take it. Uh, I would agree. Us, for all of us, it would have been wrong to take it in that moment. Yeah. And so that's withheld. And as hindsight shows, that was a grace of God. Yeah. And there's a rebuke that occurs from the pulpit, if we want to be kind. Yeah, this is where it starts to get... It unravels. ...really hot. Yeah. So and he... He probably, quote-unquote, preached or rebuked for a quarter to half of his message before it got completely unruly, or was it quicker than that? I don't remember. Because I remember there was a point where people started talking from the congregation. But I want to say that was at least 10 minutes deep. Yeah. But I could be wrong. 10, 15 minutes deep. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. It, he, he started calling out the advisory board members who had signed the petition. By name. From yeah, the by name. And I remember him calling out the advisory board member who wanted to peacefully and amicably split. Yeah, which is the guy that I lived with, the yeah. head of the board. And he basically said that that was a sinful thing from the pulpit Mm -hmm. and that this advisory board member was sinning by prompting such discussion. Is that correct? Not just that he was sinning, but that he was an unbeliever for prompting such discussion. Ah, I don't remember that. And was that basically said from the pulpit? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And later on in the service, all of the men who left their names on the petition were pronounced to be unbelievers. So there was a damnation pronounced ex cathedra, as we now know, because that's where the Lord speaks is from that pulpit. There's a pronouncement of judgment upon the advisory board members, and then the constitution. Was it the constitution or the petition that was going to burn in hell? Because I just the constitution remember... was. He said, uh, "There's some confusion about how the full quote goes." Yeah. yeah. To set it up, a congregation member stood up. And said, you can't do this. It's against the Constitution. And he said, he responded with, that Constitution will burn in hell. We all agree that that's what he said. That definitely was said. And then he followed it up with, I remember it as, that Constitution will burn in hell along with the people who wrote it. Um, another and that's person, what I remember. But... Another person remembers, that Constitution will burn in hell along with all the people who signed the petition. And then Mike remembers it as that constitution will burn in hell along with every unbiblical thing in it. Uh, but definitely damned. Damnation was The presented. constitution to hell as if a document can go to hell. I don't know. Have you read the Twilight series? It's <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there. That's purgatory. Just, just throwing no. that out there. <laughs> Um. <laughs> and I, I would say, if, if my memory is that that was the time when it started getting like unruly in the sense of people talking back. The initial talk back with the yeah. congregant saying, "I think the you first can't do that that was the first that was outburst." It, from yes, the that was the first one I remember, and that was what started that, that. that gave everybody else the freedom and then to speak when up. When he said, when when Tom said that Constitution will burn in hell, and then however he finished that yeah. sentence. That's when it, it just kind of... All, it unraveled. All unraveled. Yeah, Completely. that's a very good term for it. It, it broke loose. <laughs> for sure. That's true. Yeah. It got dank. Um. And, and over the course of the time of that, I'm doing air quotes for those of you who can't see me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a sermon, right? It wasn't a sermon. It was a tirade. Yes. But <laughs> during the, over the course of that time, tirade. Uh, people had gotten up and left as they were offended or as they were called out or as they were whatever. So when he, yeah. when, when Tom said the chairman of the advisory board asked me to resign and da, 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 they got up and they got up and left at that point. They, they yeah. left the service at that point. 
Then as he went through and called different people by name, those folks uh, exited the room as well. By the time he damned the Constitution and, the, and whatever followed that, um, there was probably, I don't know, 50, 60% of the original attendees were still there. Okay. Yeah. So there, there was a number of folks. A healthy amount had And left. during yeah. this time also, the substitute worship leader got up and booked it. Yeah. Which I can't blame him. No. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I ain't staying for the rest of this service. It yeah. wasn't his church. It wasn't his fight. It wasn't his, no. it was his yeah. right not thing his to circus, do. Not his circus, not his monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. zapped. Um, and so that, so that happened. Uh, there was an unruliness that took place, uh, resulting in um, some of Tom's men coming down and escorting other people out of the building as they were hollering up to the <laughs> up to the pulpit. They were uh, forcefully Tom's, exited. Yeah, I'll, I'll use the term henchmen, just you know, because they were <laughs> for this. Uh, but his his henchmen uh, would come and and I remember him saying that he assigned people to do so, expecting did. that. Yeah, and so he uh, so there were men who were uh, drug, kicking and screaming, basically out, out. of the out of the sanctuary. sanctuary. Um, and the initial thrust of his tirade was to call upon repentance of those who had sinned, and in all honesty, not against the Lord, but against Him. That is exactly how he said it. Is it so? What, I mean, basically, it basically was. He said they sinned against the, you. Don't the support of God. me. You need to leave. You need to leave, and you need to repent of not supporting me. There's no mention of God other than him assuming the title "Man of God" yeah. upon himself. Um, there was no mention of. Yeah, exactly. It, go, it all goes back to his view of pastoral authority that he viewed the pastor as being a person who God had ordained to oversee this congregation, and therefore, by the ordinance of God, this person is vested with this this higher state of being. I mean, it's not even an assignment in and of itself. It's, it's an actual state for him. It was a state of being yeah. above and beyond a normal Christian. So... Therefore, by sinning against him, you're sinning against God. So it was all one and the same to him in his mind. Yeah. Um, it's just insanity. Absolute insanity in so many ways. It's a... It's twisted. I'm sure there's a few com complexes that would be assigned to him at minimum, oh, just based on this one instance alone, not excluding all the yeah. other instances. Yeah. So the, the quote-unquote message and or tirade ends... Chaos has ensued. People have left and stormed out. People have been forcefully removed. And chaos, chaos was just there. I remember after the service, uh, you, Mike came down from the sound booth. The three of us were sitting in a pew, kind of maybe stand, one standing or something. I mean, we were kind of around. And we, we all had these like dazed and confused kind of looks. On our faces. Yeah, you're sucker punched. And I said, I'm going back to the bar. People get along better there. That is both true and sad yeah. at the same time. Yeah, I said, I'm going back to the bar. People get along better there. I did not go back to the bar. Yeah. Uh, but that was, uh, it's really how I felt. Like, what am I doing here? Like, I gave up a life of, you know, <laughs> of debauchery and of conflict um, and I, you know, I gave my life to Christ and I'm here loving people and, and growing in Christ. And now there's this fight and it's one of the ugliest things I had ever seen in my life, let alone in a church. It was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was, it was reeling to me. It was at that moment that I knew I wasn't going anywhere Tom was going. That's the moment. That was the defining moment for me. I am not following, following that man. Whether whether it it's means I have to leave here because he's staying here, or he goes and I stay. Whatever that looked like, I'm not going where he's going. Yeah. Um. So that that was that was the defining moment for me. He had the nerve to go and stand at the door like he usually did, and like and shake hands. shake hands with people on the way out. <laughs> 
Oh, you could say you shook hands with the devil. If you and did I, it. so that was the time I mentioned, I mentioned previously, um, where I had asked him or I asked Tom, do I need to change my living situation? Cause I was living with mm-hmm. the, the chairman of the advisory board who has now been damned to hell. And it was on my way out the door that Sunday that I said, do I need to change my living situation? He said, no. So that's totally logically inconsistent. Right. Like if you pastorally cared about me and you genuinely, and Tom genuinely thought that this man was an unbeliever and he genuinely, if he genuinely pastorally loved me, he should have told me, yeah, don't live there. Yeah. Get out of Dodge. Service ends. Pastor Tom's waiting to shake babies and kiss hands or something like that. And he had asked the sound booth for the tape. So it was a CD or a tape? It was a CD. And what had happened was he got done with his quote unquote message with his tirade. He started looking around for the um, worship pastor to start the song and realized that he had been abandoned. And he's like, okay, guess no song is going to happen. <laughs> so then he said something to the effect of, well, we may as well just go ahead and end this service now. Everyone needs to go home and really think about you what's know what they said. did and what's been said and where you stand on all this and really have a come to Jesus moment sort of thing. And then he dismissed the service and he immediately charged to the back to the sound booth and said, hey, give me the CD. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I just stand it to him. There you go. Like I didn't, I was 23 or 24. Yeah. The the uh, implications didn't really dawn on me at the time of what was on that CD. And not long after that, the guy who had stood up and said, you know, you can't do this, it's against the Constitution. That same guy came up and said, hey, do you have the CD from this morning? I was like, oh no, Tom took it. He's like, what, what? How could you give it to him? And he was so mad. He was like, you know, we were, you know, there could be a lawsuit and that could be evidence and all this stuff. I was like, oh, he just asked me for the CD. I gave it to him. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I was just like, played dumb and, and I wasn't playing. I was kind of dumb. Um, but you were unaware of the implications yeah. and the consequences yeah, of all of I was that. Ignorant. that was, yeah, you were yeah. ignorant of the situation. It was so, not. Regarding the CD, I remember at Church B, it had come up in a discussion. I don't remember the t- when. And he said that he took the CD and he broke it up into pieces and threw it away in different dumpsters so that way, like, the government or an investigating agency couldn't get it back together and get the information off of it. But he did tell me that when they asked him that there was no CD left, he said yes, but he had ripped a copy of it and kept a digital copy of it in his computer. So it may still exist somewhere. He listens to it at night, you know, sometimes. If, if he was infallible from behind the pulpit, why would you see the need to bust up into little pieces? God's word. You the just evidence destroy, of... He destroyed the word of God. Yeah, the evidence yeah. of your own amazingness. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I remember that happened. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's just insane. I know that there was... Um, actually some legal recourse that he had to return the CD. He supposedly returned the CD. Probably he was a, probably a, a CD. CD. A blank CD. Because it was blank when they when they got it back. Yeah. But um something yeah. occurred there. That night ends and what's the next step? So this case Well chaos, that by the way do it. On the way to my car <laughs> after Black Sunday, um that after that morning service, I'm walking to my car and there is one of the puppet elders and another man from the congregation, both in their 60s at least and maybe in their 70s, arguing with one another. And one of them takes a swing. The puppet elder took a swing at... Uh, the elderly gentleman he was talking to. The other gentleman that he was talking to, yeah. Now, do you remember if he connected? Was it a Mike Tyson moment? Kidney face? Kidney face? No. <laughs> No, I don't. Uh, I don't recall if it connected or not. But okay. it was. Um, it was geriatric fighting at its best. It was geriatric fighting. It was shocking. Maybe to at its me worst because the man that actually took the swing um, 
Oh, he was one of the sweetest was men you would ever one meet. One of the sweetest and gentlest men that I I know who ever he known. is or was. He's with the Lord now. And um I I was just like I I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand yeah. what's going on. So So we had fighting in the service. We had fist fighting in the parking lot. Sounds like Lakewood High School, you know, that's, that's where I went to high school. But no, this is church instead. No, it sounds like yeah. a Pennywise show. <laughs> it's true. There was a mosh pit later on. Yeah. I'm, yeah, it was. Yeah. And did we have evening service that day? I don't I recall. I don't remember. I don't recall. So we may we have. We probably did. Out. I mean. I probably went all gussied up. No, you didn't come to evening service gussied up. No, I went, yeah, I went, I went cholo gussied up. No, you didn't. You went cholo up. Yeah, you were gussied up in the morning. You up. G-thang. The arrogance that he had. It was probably a, there was probably an evening service. Yeah, and it's probably a regular message that he plagiarized from somebody. That's not unlikely. I mean, that's totally possible. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. So he's blown this church up essentially on Sunday, Bloody Sunday, the first Sunday of the new year, January. A vote of confidence goes out, and they're going to hold that because. According to the bylaws, it's able and should happen given what has occurred and with the petition happening. Now, the petitions, petitioners, and a bunch of members are rendered inactive. Yeah. So, there, I mean, the timeline's fuzzy on my there, end. There was, um, there was some bookkeeping that needed to be done. Like a clearing of the roles. Like a clearing of the roles type things of thing. Things you should do. People that hadn't been around. I think years. the I think the Constitution at the time said six months that your membership went inactive, basically onto the inactive list after uh, six months of either non-attendance or non-giving. Okay. The reason that that is in there is if you can't get out of it, like if you're bedridden or you're whatever, but you keep you know tithing. It's a way to allow then the, you you are still a bound. member. Yeah, it's a way to allow the housebound to still be a member. Um, but six months of not supporting the church in that regard, either by attendance or by giving, um, was supposed to be moved to inactivity. They did not um, keep up with that record. And it, I mean, it's really kind of the last thing on your mind when you're shepherding a congregation <laughs> is keeping up with like, who hasn't been here in that amount of time? Yeah, yeah and especially like, oh, who's tithing and who isn't tithing? Like, yeah. you're sitting there. Yeah. Some pastors, I guess, do that. Like but Tom, but it wasn't the but, pastors. Yeah. It wasn't even in the Constitution. It wasn't the pastor's job. It was the job of the advisory board yeah, or the, the trustees. Or whoever the trustees. And they're trying to do real ministry, and that takes a second seat. Yeah, and they're supposed to. That that cleaning of the role or that process of doing that is also supposed to be ministry, in that you contact the people. Hey, we miss you. Uh, how are you doing? You haven't been here in a while. Are oh. you going somewhere else? Like going after the lost sheep. Going in after a sense. the lost sheep, in a sense, and following up with that. Um, but it is not uncommon, yeah, to just go in and wipe that clean and start afresh. It, and so, I know other churches that have done that yeah, in, in an appropriate yeah, way. In an appropriate way. But here it happens after the church blow up. Yeah, and it wasn't just it was. And again, similar. I I think that ha- that part of it was the right thing to do. Just like not serving communion on Black Sunday was the right thing to do. Taking the inactive people off of the roll was the right thing to do because if you're going to have a vote, if this vote is going to take place, um, you don't want the people who are trying to hold on to their church to rally a bunch of folks who have, yeah. they've been going somewhere else for a year and a half. Come back and vote. Come back this. and vote. just show up and vote that night. And then stuff, you know, that's stuff in the ballot box and yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to do that. No, you that's want dishonoring be, the Lord. So I think that the cleaning of the rule was the right thing to do. It was an unfortunate timing because it, it looked, it was a bad, um, do you think it was that, a bad look? They cleared sure. the role too far, where they took people who shouldn't have been off off for the sake of well, that was the second stuffing wave. their belt. That was the second so, wave of clearing the role. So the second wave comes. The second wave came uh, with the loophole in the Constitution. So they, I was just going to say that there's a great irony here that um, 
Tom decided to go ahead and use the language in the Constitution that he had condemned to Hades uh, to inactivate the membership yes. of a bunch of people. So he, yeah. he used so this it, it loophole. Was, it was bad when it was against him, but good when it was for him. I mean, I guess when you're this conniving, you, you have no logical consistency. I so. asked him about that. Mm. And he said, basically, if they want their quail, they can eat it until it comes out. They, so basically he was like, they won that document. We'll use that document. It was kind of his philosophy on it. Interesting. Wow. So anyway, so, bouncing it back. So they you. so they used the clause in the Constitution that said not supporting or attending the church. And he said, if you're not in favor of me and my teaching, then you're not supporting the church. That the main ministry of the church was the preaching ministry, and if you're not supporting the preaching, then you're not supporting, and therefore we can inactivate your membership. So and he wiped so, off a bunch of people who. So he wiped off the people who had signed the petition, basically. That those folks, impressive, all had their memberships revoked. They couldn't vote, and then therefore they could not vote in the vote of confidence. So he he, in essence, he disabled the ability to have a vote of confidence at all. Now, as you had mentioned, he needed so many members or so many trustees to actually do business. So he brought in other men to do so. He's cleared the roles and then doubly cleared them by removing people who signed the petition because they don't support the constitution. They're having the quail come out of their nose from his perspective or whatever. And the advisory board then basically tells the people what? the new puppet advisory board. Because there's about two or three Sundays after Black Sunday. Mm-hmm. Hey, so before we go there. Before the church splits. Oh, we have an aside. All right. Uh, Lance, Sunday is, after Lance is making Black a Sunday. great face. So let's dip into that. So we've had all these things kind of going on within these next three weeks. But the Sunday after Black Sunday, Lance is literally squinting and rubbing his face. Frustration is in his bones. What happened the Sunday? After Black Sunday. So we show up for worship. Again, I'm using air quotes. Um, we show up for worship. Tensions are, I mean, it's thick. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's thicker than it was Black Sunday. Yeah, people weren't ready for Black Sunday. It caught a lot of people off guard. Now they everyone's were, guard Everyone is was armed. Yeah. And ready to go. And Tom ascends the steps of the stage stands behind the pulpit and proceeds to read a letter that was received during the week in the mail. Okay. Supposedly. Yes. Supposedly received during the week in the mail. And this letter stated that there was, uh, that, that these folks who wrote this letter had been visiting their, they were from out of town or out of state. They had been visiting their family in the area and visited church a on what happened to be black Sunday that they, they were visitors that day. And they wrote this letter saying that they had never seen anything more biblical in their lives. And that it was such a stand up uh, way to, to deal with the situation and, and that it was exemplary. I remember him using the, the letter, using that word. It was exemplary. Uh, and all of this different stuff, basically praising the way he handled it, the way it was handled the week before. Um, he wrote the letter. <laughs> the, the ironic part, and Mike mentioned this earlier, is he didn't write his own sermons, but he wrote that letter. Yeah. Which I think is hilarious and not. Yeah. He wrote that letter and read that letter as, because... I'll bet um, you five bucks so he could say it was sent in. He wrote it on Sunday, mailed it. We were, I think. Opened it up. He might. He might be it, that conniving. We were keenly friendly. aware of the people in attendance on Black Sunday because not many of them were silent and we were looking all over the building to see who was there. I do not recall having visitors on Black Sunday. Yeah, other Nobody, than the worship leader. Other than the worship leader who yeah. got out of Dodge, wisely, nobody recalls any visitors being there on Black Sunday. It was not a big enough church for visitors to be there in in Hyde. Yeah, you couldn't get stay under the radar. <laughs> there were only stand. like 180 people in attendance yeah. at that point. Yeah, 
So you couldn't, you could not be a visitor there and have blended in and not been noticed. Well, and your point that he was standing in the back ready to shake hands, if it was so exemplary, somebody would have seen him speaking to these new members who found it so exemplary. And if it was so exemplary, why did you destroy the evidence of it in a hundred pieces and put it in five different dumpsters? Yeah. These are all questions that need answers. No, they don't. They have their answers. (laughs) Then there are questions that have answers. So are, are we going to say it, that, that that CD and everybody who preached it is going to burn in hell, or is that is that a little too soon? No, we have more grace than that. <laughs> yes, we do. That's, That's the advantage. above our pay grade. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. The Lord takes care of such things. The that Lord CD might burn in hell. I mean, if it's the Constitution burning. is, why not the CD? Why I not mean, the, yeah, I mean, we can put know, the CD in there. Yeah. Um, sure. As far as, as far as Tom goes... Um, the Lord, that's Don't, in the Lord's hands. It's hard to, it, we've talked about this in previous episodes, yeah. it's hard to imagine that he has uh, the spirit in him, but you've seen, we've seen more collateral damage from people than the wake that, of destruction that Tom left behind yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then seen people get saved. So I, I can't, I can't comment on his eternal, his eternal state. Uh, if I had to guess based on fruit, I don't see any good fruit. Yeah. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he said, and Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. So. So we could say what Mike remembers, that that CD and everything unbiblical in it will burn in hell. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Which means the whole caboodle. So Pastor Tom received this letter, is affirmed by this letter and presents it to the congregation as nonsense, and he preaches a sermon, um, and in the whatever it was, I'm sure somebody knows somewhere, but it's not really needed. And the petitioners are removed; they're inactivated. At the end of that Sunday, the Sunday following this was Black Sunday. Okay, which would be he brought up the new the newly appointed advisory board. And presented them to the congregation as their new leadership. And the newly appointed chairman of said advisory board made an announcement that there would be no vote of confidence, that it was postponed until more investigation could take place. And at that point, there was more shouting from the congregation up to the people on on the stage, one man in particular saying... uh, you men are holding this church hostage. And then there was an eruption of applause that took place after he said that. And it was the majority of the congregation applauding. Yeah. Well, which probably would have signaled that if they stayed, that the congregation would win given the bylaws. The way the church government functioned wouldn't allow that puppet government, whatever you want to call it, to stay with yeah. the way it's structured. Yeah. yeah. And there was another tricky thing that happened here um, before that Sunday where the church, uh, I, I don't know if secretary is the right word, um, one of the office ladies who was, she was pretty much... She ran uh, the place. Yeah, she That's ran just, the whole office. Secretary just, doesn't do her justice. Yeah. 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 Um, She's like the executive pastor almost. Basically. Right? Kind of, I mean, yeah. Without that title. Yeah. She functioned as that. We're complementarians, so yeah. we don't. Yeah. <laughs> and Baptist. So she's the Sunday school leader, you know. But uh, she had printed out bulletins which said the vote of confidence was going to take place and win. And Tom caught wind of it. He grabbed them and threw them away. Yeah, he confiscated he them. He confiscated them and got rid of them. But didn't she reprint them? She did. She and she hid and... them in the trunk of her car. That's awesome. <laughs> And they were passed out at yeah. the next week's, which I believe service. that's when it was stated from the the stage that the vote of confidence would not occur. That is correct from the puppet elders. Probably why that was stated was because the bulletins had been passed out that said there was going to be one, and they announced and so, that there would not be. Yeah. And that I believe was the last Sunday with Pastor Tom there. So we've it had was essentially three chaotic Sundays at church. Culminating in him dipping out. Ooh, well, that me... was that was the Sunday that he preached from Titus one about rebellious 
rebellious people and that those who signed the petition were um, were the same as the people described in Titus 1, hmm. the, the pagan, rebellious, sort of stiff-necked people who don't listen to God. Uh, he claimed that if they you were signed that petition, you were that. That person. Yeah. Essentially trying to do to the congregation what happened in the elders' the meeting, the advisory board, that the yep. judgment will come upon their lineage or whatever you want to call it. So that week following the proclamation that there will be no vote of confidence, that Pastor Tom and the advisory board resign, it looks like. So they, they're they taking off, but in him leaving, he didn't just leave. He demanded a fairly large severance. I'm just picking numbers because I don't know what it was. Let's just say his annual se- pa- uh, salary was 55000 a year. He asked for double, yeah, probably. Yeah. So... Yeah, from a church that from a church that didn't have that kind of scratch scratch sitting in the bank, you know, and I I don't know that I honestly don't know that he came in with that demand, but uh, Church A reached out to the denominational leadership, uh, part of the denomination that they belonged to. They reached out to the to the denomination itself and asked for help, and they sent a man down, kind of like to mediate. To mediate, they sent a man down to mediate. And uh, there was negotiation that went back and forth to come to a number. They had they finally got to a number that Tom agreed to, and it was somewhere in the realm of a hundred thousand dollars. It was somewhere in the realm of double. It was double whatever his annual salary, salary was. was. I don't know what his yeah. annual salary was, but the, the two bits and a mule. Yeah, the, got four uh, bits and two mules. The the Not a bad gig agreement was. There, there was a number in his mind where he would bail. He would bail. Leave. So he left and, for money. And he left for money. He left for money. Yeah. And, and the church down, didn't yeah. have the money that was agreed to. Yeah. So but it's a small, it's a small Baptist church. You there can't, were, there you were. Can't expect that. Two. I think that I think the church had half of what the agreed amount, the agreed upon amount was. Okay. Basically a year's worth of salary. A year's worth of salary. I think the church was able to swing that. And then there were a a few families who came up with the rest personally. And it was in the order of, I think, 40 grand that that they came up with. One family came up with half of that. So they had to come up with a chunk of money. So they were dipping into the kitty to make that happen. That family... um, I know, um, wound up actually adding a couple of extra years to their employment. They retired two years later than they had planned on in order to recoup the money that they had taken to help. So all this chaos has occurred. The church is split. And all those that were with Pastor Tom took off, which was Mike and I, me Mm -hmm. more so fervently. You were undecided, as we've spoken of before. So what was the general atmosphere the Sunday before the split happened? It was tension. I wouldn't say it was as hot as the second Sunday of the month, but the third Sunday of the month definitely had a lot of tension left in it. And everybody left that Sunday not knowing that the following Sunday would be two different churches. Yeah, the um, they officially left, yeah, I want to say... A Tuesday. Tuesday after On a the Tuesday, Tuesday. The, the agreement, the resignation and severance package agreement was reached on a Tuesday. Yeah, okay. so it just took a few days. So then we'll get into all of the aftermath on the next episode. Um, but the immediate aftermath, I think, was just confusion for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I had asked Tom about my living situation. He told me to keep living where I was living, and it's kind of, I mean, I, I kept living where I was living. I was working for the for, <laughs> for the worship pastor at the time, uh, so I was just, I just kind of kept on doing what I was doing, but I was in, I was in a situation where I was hearing a lot of chatter yeah. during that time, mm-hmm. like during all of that, and because I was living with the chairman of the elder board, I knew that those meetings were going, you know, four and five hours, mm. a meeting that would normally be an hour on a Tuesday night was a four or five hour meeting. 
Yeah, and he was Matlock. coming in the door around midnight, and it was like you know, and and haggard looked worn out, worn out, beat, and and it it did a number on his health. He had some heart trouble and different things like that mm. uh, in the years to follow. The brutal is a word. The whole experience, chaotic. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think I honestly think that that like assessment, not to as not because I came up with something great, but like that assessment of like I'm going back to the bar was really like c- kind of a sad summary of how the whole <laughs> the whole place felt. Like nobody here likes each other. Why are yeah. we doing this? Like, yeah, it was very you know, defeating. Yeah. It yeah. just felt like so defeating and so confusing. I just remember thinking, man, I got to find a different church or something. And I, I remember regretting going back to church. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, man, I knew I should have just not gone back to church. Like, because that was a thought I had before uh, the college pastor actually visited me in the hospital when I, I had this appendix problem. And um, that was before I had decided where I was going to go to church. And I, I went to that church because of that visit really. And I remember right around that time thinking, man, this is why I didn't want to go to church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a sad, it's a sad scar yeah. on the body of Christ. Um, so a little bit of application then what hindsight and not getting into the aftermath and the start of church B, the restoration of church A, what's some application pastorally Lance you would give somebody who has gone through such a thing? Uh, if, I would say if you're going through such a thing or have gone through such a thing, the three of us still believe that church is worth it. Yeah. Um, You know, there are so many folks who went through what we went through who just walked away from the church altogether. Um, And you had that, Mike had that moment where he was like, this is why I didn't want to come back here. But God was faithful to you that even even though it was what wound up being church B, you hung in with the church and even the the trauma that you experienced from being part of church B didn't God kept you seeking out the right place. Absolutely. And, and the church is worth it. It's worth yeah. investing into a local body of believers. It's the way that Jesus intended to intended it to be. He died for the church. He gave himself up for her. And all through the New Testament, we see uh, we see local bodies of believers gathered together, those letters written to the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, right? And we see all these these local bodies of believers, and even to the church that meets in so-and-so's home, right? Um, and, and even so, James and First John are written to bodies who have experienced some real drudgery. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. And and uh, I mean, if you study the book of Philemon, this little postcard from Paul that he wrote, it's all about this this man Onesimus. Yeah, it was it was Onesimus who uh, was a servant to Pastor. Philemon. Philemon was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Onesimus really was, uh, stabbed him in the back, stole money from him, stole stuff from him, Hmm. and betrayed his master. And Paul's writing this letter to to Philemon to restore Onesimus, that Onesimus is now uh, not only a son in the, not only your servant, but also a brother in the faith. And that you know this forgiveness and that this and this being together is what god desires from the very beginning god has desired to be present with his people right he walked with adam and eve in the garden he he gave a schematics for a tabernacle so that he could dwell with his people mm-hmm. he sent his son to tabernacle among us. John 1.14 says that he dwelt among us. The Greek word is tab- is the word for tabernacle. Mm-hmm. He tabernacled among us. And then Jesus goes away. Jesus ascends into heaven after his resurrection, and he sends the Holy Spirit now to live in us. God has always desired to be with his people, and he desires that his people be together and to be unified. 
And unity is worth fighting for. Amen. And the church is worth fighting for. And are you going to get hurt along the way? Yes. Um, is it going to be hard at times? Yes. Are leaders going to do wrong things? Yes. Is are other members of the congregation going to stab you in the back? Yes. And am I going to sin? And are you going to stab other people in the back? Maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, you know. Um, but ultimately, Christ builds the church. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he builds his church, and he died for his church, and so the church is worth it. And so I would just encourage anyone who's experienced the trauma of spiritual abuse um, to not give up on the body of Christ and to earnestly seek deep and meaningful relationships within the church. Well, with, with that, should we call it an episode? Let's do it. So you all learned about Black Sunday and or Sunday Bloody Sunday. So we've seen the turmoil that can occur. We've seen the chaos that's ensued. Next, we're going to talk about the aftermath. What came next? <laughs> what what was it like for Church A for recovery? And what was it like for Church B to start and recovery to some degree? So with that, we've got Lance, we got Mike, and we got Steve. And this is Rants and Revelations. 